0: The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. Hey, good morning lot more of you than I expected. So, praise God that you're all shoveled out and, well, it's Wisconsin. The snow shouldn't keep you away, right? (laughs) We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to be talking about uh, unity in the body of Christ. So, I want to thank Jim for filling in while I was away on vacation And uh, I'm going to piggyback off of his, his sermon a little bit. He did a great job of just bringing forth that our focus, our goal is the gospel of Jesus Christ because people need this truth. And that this morning what we're going to see is that we are joined together in a great salvation and that we are working together to build one another up but also to fulfill the mission of Christ. The Great Commission is given to his bride, the church, to take that message out. And so uh, I want to just continue in that theme. And I want to encourage us in being built up together and being unified in Christ. And I'm going to read the first 16 verses, but I'm going to be really heavy in just the first two. So when I'm, as we get going, you're like, he's still in verse one. <laughs> it's okay, it'll all come together. And, uh, and hopefully you'll be encouraged as, as you hear this message that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives to the church. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read verses 1 through 16. So, I, couldn't, I went on vacation, I took my other glasses, and all I can find are these click glasses now. I don't know where I put my glasses. So if I'm doing some weird stuff trying to read, just bear with me. I like these when I'm studying. Not really great for preaching. Anyway, Ephesians chapter four. This is what Paul writes to us in the spirit. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, Into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Pray with me. Father, we ask that as we come to this time of worship in the scriptures, that you would be glorified that you would be glorified in your bride. You promised us that you would wash us clean, that you would transform us, that you who began a good work would complete it. And you tell us in this very letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, you tell us that you will make us without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. We say amen. We say yes, Lord. So as we read this passage this morning, you call us to unity. And God, we want to be unified in Christ. We want to walk together. We want to be built up. We want to be mature. So help this word through the power of your spirit sink into our hearts. Would you uncover what needs to be uncovered? Would you give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear? Father, may we bless you by being transformed into what Paul is calling us into, one body that has one Lord. So, Father, we worship now as we ask you to lead us through this revelation that you've given to us, the Scriptures. Christ be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul speaks in the first three chapters of Ephesians uh, about our salvation, about the gospel. If you go back, you'll see that he's really making a case about what it is that we're called to, how we are saved, how we are transformed. It's by grace you're saved, not by works, but it's his work, and he calls us to himself, and the Holy Spirit makes us alive, and we are made for good works that were ordained for us before the foundation of the world. The first three chapters, Paul talks about this great gospel, this foundation. Now the foundation is not anything new. He talks about this in other passages as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 he says this, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. You're the someone else by the way. He's laid the foundation and now you are working upon. It. You have received the gospel, and you are working upon it. So he says, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. I'm take these off. That's the foundation. Otherwise, I'll be that teacher that looks over his glasses all, all the time. Jesus, is he your foundation? I mean, I got to ask that first. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you repented of sin? Have you come and confessed, Lord, I am a sinner, save me. Because it's only by grace that we're saved. We can't do enough. We can't work enough. There's, There's nothing in us that makes us acceptable to God. It's only the work of Jesus at the cross, his shedding of blood, his body broken, his life, death, burial, and resurrection that we come by faith in what he has done. That he has paid our penalty. He has taken the wrath of God. He has drank the cup for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. That we could stand free. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you laid that foundation? I mean, that's when we talk about unity in the body of Christ, it only works if you have this foundation. If we're all working from the same foundation. We have to have Jesus. We have to have him first in our life as the Savior and Lord of our life. And Paul opens up here in verse 1. He says this of our passage, I therefore... Well, what's the therefore there for? It's, well, I am just messed that whole thing up. When you see therefore, you ask, what's it there for? It's there because of everything he stated beforehand. So the first... Three verse or first three chapters about salvation. He's, he wants you to have that in mind. He wants to recall that. He said, I've just said all of this stuff about what God has done. Remember that. Therefore, so let's let's get that in our mind just for a second. Let's remember what benefits, what gifts we have in salvation alone. Just in this letter, Ephesians 1, 1 through 8. We have the gifts of being adopted into God's family, being redeemed through his blood, forgiven of our sins, having a renewed purpose for life. When people say, what's the purpose of life? Take them to the gospel. What's the purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. How do you get that? Only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a renewed purpose Paul talks to the Roman church in Romans 5. He says the gifts of salvation is that we're justified, that we have peace with God. We have access to the Father. We just read in Revelation when John was called up to heaven, he said, I looked and there was a door standing open. How do we have access? It's only through the gospel. It's only through Jesus Christ. We have access to the Father. There is a door in heaven opened because of Christ. And salvation allows us access, grace to stand before God. We have a hope of glory. We've received his great love. We have received his presence in the Holy Spirit. He comes and indwells us. He makes his home with us. He tabernacles with us. He comes and he's with us in salvation, a great gift of the Holy Spirit, of himself coming He's removed the wrath. That's just in Romans 5. Other gifts that we get in salvation. The righteousness of Christ, which I've already mentioned. We have eternal life. And by the way, that starts the moment you say yes to Jesus. It's not one day by and by. When you receive Christ and you are born again and made new, eternal life, abundant life starts in that moment. We have eternal life. We have joy in his presence. We have effective and effectual prayer. We have victory over sin, death, and the grave. We have a new home. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit both become intercessors for us. These are just gifts we have in salvation. I haven't even exhausted it. And in our passage today, we have one more gift. We have each other. We become a body. We become a family. We become one in Christ. That only happens through salvation. We become one in Jesus. And so we see that in 1 Corinthians. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 17. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, do I not belong to the body? That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, do I not belong to the body? That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Paul's point is that we are diverse. We come from different backgrounds and we have different gifts given. We're going to see that in the passage. We are different and unique, but yet we are joined together. We are one in Christ. We are one body and we need each other. We need each other. His his good gift to us is that for your sanctification and for your growth to fulfill all into the head as we were reading about is that you need each other. I need you as much as you need me. That's how we grow into the fullness of Christ. He works through each other. Romans chapter 12, verse five, he says the same kind of thing. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So individually, we're in Christ, but we are one body. And if we go back to our other passage, he was talking about all these other groups. So it doesn't matter where you're from in this world, what socioeconomic status you have, what race, what, what group you're in. It doesn't matter. All are welcome in Christ. All can come to salvation in Christ. The, the playing field is level. When Jesus says how hard it is for a rich man to go to heaven and the disciples say, well, then who can go? Jesus really is saying anyone can go because through God, all things are possible. But in the mind of people, it's you have the privileged and the underprivileged and the privileged get it and the underprivileged don't. No, at the cross, all are welcome. All can come. There's no one better than the other. And when we come into the body, he has a place for us. We should not give preference to one over the other. We have different roles, different things that God has called us to do. But we're one. We're one. Our God, what we see here, is a giving God. All those gifts, all those gifts he gives us. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. Know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day. I think I have the wrong verse. Keep going. For Sodom in that town. What do you Yeah, I, I have the wrong. Uh, keep going. Is that the last of it? Yeah, I have the wrong verse there. <laughs> so, our God is a given God. What I want is that if you ask for bread, He's not going to give you a serpent. He asks for good gifts. He's a good Father. He gives us good things. We'll correct that for the next one. But unfortunately, that's on the live stream. So, Yeah, sorry about that. He is a life-giving and a gift-giving God. So in light of this great salvation, Paul exhorts us in verse 1 to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So, we've all been called. That's the point. We've all been called in the same salvation. We've all been called through the same gospel. In Christ, we have the same common calling. So, verse 2, when he says, walk worthy, here it says, with all humility and gentleness and with patience bearing with one another in love. When we walk worthy, what does that mean? Well, it means we we reflect Jesus. Like when you see these qualities, there should be another verse that comes to mind. In fact, it should be the verse that Matt had quoted. Paul says that we should live lives that are marked by humility, gentleness, and patience. And Jesus has a lot said about him in the scriptures, but he talks about himself in one place in particular, and that's Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. And he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus speaking about himself. There's a lot of things that people say about Jesus in the scriptures, and they're all true it, it, when we're talking about his divine nature and his character and and those things. Those who were against him, they were speaking falsely against him. But when we see these truths about Jesus, people speaking things about Jesus, yeah, those we can trust, we know they're true. But then when Jesus says something about himself, this is what he says. I'm gentle and lowly. I have gentleness and humility. That's my character. This is who I am. And Paul says, you want to be a body unified in Christ, you need to reflect Jesus. And what does that mean? It means you should have humility, gentleness, and patience. Christ is also very patient with us. Christ displayed his patience in us who are being saved. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving, full acceptance that Christ is, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were, who were to believe in him for eternal life. Jesus shows his patience. He looks at Paul and Paul says, Look at my life as an example. Jesus has looked at me, and I am one who's running around and for a season blaspheming and killing the saints and, and pulling them into prison and, and, and charging them. And, and I'm living a life against God. And Christ was patient with me. He's patient with you, and he's patient with me. We are to reflect that towards one another. Patient gentle, humble. Humility can be defined as being marked by meekness or modesty in behavior, attitude, or spirit, not arrogant or prideful. So Paul is saying for unity to exist, humble, selfless people need to be living for the good of others. We live for the good of each other. We live for the spiritual encouragement of each other, for the growth of each other. I'm making less of myself and more of you. Jesus humbled himself as an example. Philippians 2 8, we read this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Great humility comes from heaven, takes on flesh, becomes like us. God in the flesh, dwelling with us, being patient with us, kind towards us, gentle towards us, and then humbled again to to suffering, great suffering, and then humbled again to death. For you, for me. So Paul says, when we think about being unified in Christ, we should be like Jesus. Jesus. We're we're humble, we're we're meek in our behavior, in our attitude, in our spirit. See, when Paul wrote this, humility was not seen as a good quality. Humility was not a quality in the culture that they they propped up and said, yes, we should all be humble. We should try to be like this. No, pride was more valued. The pride of man was more valued. In fact, God's people were often mocked and really ridiculed for their humility. (laughs) The people of God got called Christians, little Christs, because of their humility. Because of how they lived, the world looked at them and they're like, they don't exalt themselves. They're not puffed up. They don't. They don't make much of themselves or their abilities. Look at these people. They're not like us. They're different. They're like that Jesus guy. They're like little Christs, and then they're like, let's just start calling them Christians. And they start mocking the those who are known as the way, as Christians. And it stuck. And we wear that with with honor. I was going to say with pride. We can do. It. We can wear it with pride. That would just sound weird saying we should be humble. Where that would pride, we were honored by that because that when someone says that guy's a Christian, that girl's a Christian, what are they saying? That person's following that Jesus. They're not like the world. So here, Paul says, "Be like Jesus, have humility." And the world says, "That's not what we value." Well, guess what? Even today that's true. People often confuse humility with weakness. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're walking in humility, you're trying to be kind and gentle towards those, maybe in your workplace or whatever, so they just assume this guy or this gal is a a pushover, we can just steamroll them, we can get our way against them. They're just so meek and they're just lowly, like, like they're weak, let's just get them out of the way and get what I want. Humility is not to be mistaken for weakness. There's strength in humility. But many in our culture today walk in self-exaltation, self-pampering, self-advancement, self-entitlement. In short, it's pride. It's the same as it was. (laughs) Things just don't change much, do they? Humility is being filled with God. Ephesians 3.19 says this, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we're not like experience, that surpasses knowledge of our mind and experiencing him, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. As we are filled with the fullness of Christ, the fullness of the Spirit, humility should come out. To walk in humility is to be full of God, to have that in you. And it's expressed in how we act towards one another. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, and do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So we are filled with Christ. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We reflect Jesus when we're yielded to him. We start walking in humility, and we start looking at others as more significant than ourselves. That's how the body is to be. Humble, gentle, patient. So gentleness is the next one. It involves being mild-spirited as well, or self-controlled. This is something we don't do in the natural man. It's through being born again that we really understand gentleness. The natural man is not gentle. Gentleness is cultivated as we walk with God. I found this very interesting. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are on the face of the earth, Moses was called the meekest man on the face of the earth. Are we talking about the same guy? Like I remember a guy who was in his forties, my age, and was fed up with how his people were being treated, and ran out there and killed an, killed an Egyptian because of what was happening, and then ran off in disgrace. Like. I I remember a man who was very passionate. No, it was cultivated. It It was very much cultivated as he walked with God. He comes back meek. Why? Because he's walked with God. God has worked in his life and sent him out. And I still remember there's times where meekness doesn't seem to be what I think when I think of him. How many times do I have to get water for you guys? I'm going to strike this rock. (gasps) That doesn't seem meek, but yet it's cultivated in him and God sees that in his heart. It's changing. How does he have this meekness? It's walking with God. So you and I too, we grow in gentleness. We grow in gentleness as we submit to the Spirit of God. Indeed, it is one of the fruits of the Spirit. If If we want... To grow in this, we need to have God in our life. And when we have God in our life, what happens? He starts to bear fruit in us. He transforms us. He changes us. And what comes out? Gentleness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Just like Jesus. I'm gentle and lowly. You want unity in the body? Be gentle and lowly. Be like our Jesus. Paul adds to these qualities patience, long suffering. It's a determination to, to come alongside one another, to walk through hard things, to encourage each other, to do all that you can to mirror Christ who was patient, patient with us, bringing us to salvation, and who is still patient with us in our sanctification. So we. Bear with one another in love. See, patience allows us to bear with one another because life isn't easy. Relationships are hard. We don't always get to get along. We rub against each other, and it's just ah, it can be uncomfortable. Our personalities clash. We have things that uh, just come up in us that come against others. And not that it's intentional, but it happens. And if we're not patient, we're not going to bear with one another. We're not going to be gentle. We're not going to be humble. We're going to take a posture of a boxer. Um, I, I had a conversation with my son, I, my oldest son. I don't remember how old he was at the time, but he, he okay, he's a guy who can argue you under the table. Like, he he's really good at arguing. <laughs> and so to have, a, to have a child who's really good at arguing is not good for a parent. Right? You wanna, it's like, I just want you to listen and be, you know, no, we're going to argue. Even if I know I'm wrong, I'm going to argue and I'm still going to win this argument, you know. So we would have times where we would just kind of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's just like, ah. Oh. And one day I came to him and I said, hey, buddy, we have, we have a couple choices here. We can stand like boxers toe-to-toe, and we can just go at it. Or we can come alongside each other and be on the same team here. And we can work through this issue together. We can tackle the problem and not try to tackle each other. Which one would you like to do? You say, well, you know, coming alongside sounds better. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But it takes patience. It takes patience to come alongside and not stand toe-to-toe. Because we lose our patience easily, don't we? But Paul says, no, be patient with each other, long-suffering, determine that you're going to come alongside. Determine that you're not going to stand toe-to-toe and punch it out and leave each other all bruised and bloody. No, come alongside. Tackle the problem together. Verse 3, we read this. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul says all three of these things are important if we want to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We we want to be eager to maintain it. Notice that we're called to maintain unity. We don't create unity. We don't make it. Christ does that. The Holy Spirit does that. We're eager to maintain the unity in Christ. So when we feel like we have to manufacture unity, we're in the wrong seat. That's Jesus' seat. That's the Spirit's seat. We're eager to maintain what they have done, what they are working in us. We say, oh, we, we, we're out of whack. We need to come back. We, we want to submit to Christ again, one another. We all submit to Christ again. Think of each other with with humility and gentleness. Be patient with each other. Let's all submit together once again to Christ and be eager for this unity that he's given all of us because he's called us all with the same calling. He's brought us all together with the same great salvation. So Paul says that we are to recognize and be confident in this work that Jesus and the Holy Spirit have done. Be confident in it when you just say, oh, it's just too hard. He can do it. Do you believe that he's Lord over all, in all, through all? I mean, we read that. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, then he can maintain unity. He can bring us back together. He can keep us as one. He can do what he has set out to do, which is to make a body that is beautiful without spot, blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing. That he can create a, a family, a fellowship to the praise of his name, and to the joy that is magnified in us. He does this. So so we need to be confident in this work of Jesus in the Spirit. Spurgeon said it this way, We want unity and truth of God through the Spirit of God. Let us seek after this. Let us live near to Christ, for this is the best way of promoting unity. Divisions in churches Never begin with those full of love to divisions in churches never begin with those full of love to serve the savior if we're full of love for the savior divisions are hard to to get there it tells us in the scriptures that we are not to give the devil a foothold and I heard this just recently, and it, it just resonated with me, and it's like, yeah, yeah, a foothold, an entry point. I mean, we think of it, how many, how many of you kind of think of a foothold as like a little ledge? You know, like that's how I used to think, oh, don't give him a foothold. Like, I would think of a, like a rock climber, and he's like, I just need a little foothold, a little handhold, and I can get up there, I can get to the top. Well, I think really a better example is that of uh, if we think of World War II and the storming the beach of Normandy, where the Americans come in and they storm the beach of Normandy and they get a foothold in Europe so then they can press in and conquer, that they can push back the Nazis and liberate Europe. Don't give the devil that. Don't give him a beachhead in your life. Don't give him a beachhead in our church. See, he wants that. And so what we do is we come in Christ together. We are unified in Christ together. And we come with humility and gentleness and patience with each other. And we come together. And those areas where footholds have, have arisen, we, we knock those down. We, we, we remove those footholds. Now, here's the thing. We can't leave it unoccupied. He'll just come back. Then we fortify it. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another. We come alongside and we say, here was a blind spot. We don't want that anymore. And we strengthen that and we remove the foothold of the enemy. So God can do this. He brings unity in our churches through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses 4 through 6, there is, this is a creed now. This is the unity we have. Like in a creed, he says, there's one body. One spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul then throws this in here. It's like an early creed to remind us this is what we all have. We're one. There could be some nuances in in how we're walking in the truth of the revelation of the scriptures, but we all have the same calling in Jesus and we are all his body, we are one. We've all experienced this, is what he's saying. Verses seven through 10, he goes on. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and saying he ascended What does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So here, what we have is Christ giving grace. And it's not the grace of salvation he's talking about. He's talking about the gifts given to the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. We all have received grace. We've all have received grace to do the work of the ministry, which are those works in Ephesians 2 that were prepared for you before the foundations of the world. He's given you grace to do those things. And he's called us as a body to do a great work together. And he's called us individually to do great works for him and with him. So it's, it's a both and. These are free, unmerited gifts. This is God who gives them. We don't earn these gifts. We don't earn these gifts any more than we could earn our own salvation. They are gifts from God so that no one may boast. If you look in the scriptures, there's listed at least 24 different gifts. 24 different ones. Hospitality, generosity, uh, giving, administration, teaching. We have the gifts that most people think, oh, gifts, okay, you're gonna get into all the miraculous things and all that, uh, Corinthians and Romans and that. Yeah, they're, they're there too. There's so many gifts, and we need them all. And we all walk in different gifts. And we need every single one. Because we're one body. And we get, he gives that gift for us to do the great work of what? Preaching the gospel. We preach it to each other and build each other up. We, we use our gifts to encourage one another in different ways. And we use those great gifts to preach Jesus to an unbelieving world. They see those things in us. And so when we think about the gifts, it's, it's, it's not just a small set. It's a huge set. They're all important. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 27 Just look at this whole passage and just think of the body using its gifts, a variety of gifts. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. And if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that gets said sometimes. Your gift isn't as important as this gift. That's hogwash, that's not biblical. Every gift is just as important. He gives gifts to the body. So because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the body were were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Those are the ones that are hidden. Those are the ones behind the scenes. Those are the ones that aren't glorified, the ones that are hidden. He's going to go on and talk about our natural bodies and how we do this. I'm, I'm fast-forwarding because of time. He's talking about how we give honor to the lesser parts and, and how we cover ourselves naturally and, and we, we care for us, our body, spiritually too. And there's this sense sometimes where it's like, well, because I'm not doing what Pastor Rob does, I'm not as good as Pastor Rob. No. We need those who have hospitality as much as those who have teaching. We need those who have generosity. We need those who have administration and giving and faith. I mean, these gifts sometimes, they're in the background. And some of us are wired to be background people, and God gives you background gifts. And just because you feel hidden, Jesus sees it, and he says, you're part of the body, you're indispensable, they need you. And often we say, because I'm not an eye or an ear or a mouth, no, we cannot say that one is not needed and the other one is. They're all needed. Because all of them together grow us up into the fullness of Jesus. All of them together grow us into the fullness of Jesus. These gifts, they, they operate in the authority of Jesus. Verses 8 through 10 talk about his ascension and his descending. He descended to the earth, and he humbled himself, took on flesh again. Then he humbled himself in great suffering. Then he humbled himself to death on a cross. He humbled himself and was buried in the tomb. But on the third day he rose victorious and he ascended on high where he sits at the right hand of the Father. He has all authority. So I heard one pastor say, most Christians think of the ascension and descending and ascending again more as a location change. That's not it. It It's about authority and victory. When he ascended, he was victorious over all things. He crushed the head of the serpent. He tore down all of those strongholds. There is no power that he has not conquered. He has all authority. He's sitting in a place of authority and his people called by his name or his ambassadors with his authority. How is it that we can tear down every demonic stronghold that sets itself up against Christ because he's already conquered it? And as the body of Christ, we can tear down every stronghold that comes against us Because Christ has all power and authority. Because he's ascended. That's what it's about. So we can overcome the darkness. These gifts operate in his power of ascension and his authority. So look at the gifts in this way. When someone in the body works the gift that God's given them, when they Bless you, it's not them blessing you. It's Jesus blessing you. When someone walks in the gift in which God gave them and they do it according to how he wants us to live and walk with humility and gentleness and patience, when they walk as Jesus and the gifts of the Spirit are coming out of them and you're receiving of those gifts, that's Jesus giving you a great blessing through that vessel because they're not the one who's manufacturing that gift. It's Jesus. We have to see that. The body has gifts for each other. What it is, is that it's Jesus working among us, giving gifts to us through each other. So we marvel in it, and we make much of it. I don't have that gift, but brother, I'm so glad you do. It blesses me. It blesses us. Verses 11 and 12 he says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now these are offices. I do not believe that there are apostles today, the big A apostles. There's only 12 foundations in the New Jerusalem and their names are already got, those foundations already got names on them. We're built up on the teaching of Jesus Christ. These 12 apostles gave us those teachings and we're built on that. We have it here in the scriptures for us. We're built on the scripture. We're built on that teaching. There's not new apostles today. Now there are little a apostles today. If you want to use that word as sent ones, there's people who are sent. There's people who fulfill like a missionary uh, calling. And then one sense, we're all called ones. We're all sent ones. Jesus sends his entire body. But this, Paul's talking about a very specific thing. He says he gave apostles to the church, and he gave prophets. Now, these prophets are like the Old Testament prophets. They're not, don't conflate prophets with the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy still works today for individual and local church in a small setting. Prophets spoke the oracles of God. They heard from God. They spoke it. We're built on those. They don't change. There's no prophets today. There's no new prophet saying, thus saith the Lord. But God does work within his body to reveal the heart. When you sit and pray with someone and they're talking to you and and you're praying, God, what should I pray for this person? And, And he gives you a sense of what's happening in their life. And you say, I think maybe this is going on. And they're like, how do you know that? That's God working. That's a good gift. He's encouraging. He's building up. But that happens on the small scale here in the body. That's not prophets like what Paul's talking about. But there are teaching and instruction for us. That's what he's saying. There's good gifts and we have instruction. The apostles gave it. The prophets gave it. He says that there are evangelists. Those are ones who are really more the, the ones who go out. They could be locally. It could be further. But they're taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to those. And they have a gift of evangelism, but they speak clearly the truths of God to those who haven't heard it or to those who need to be strengthened in it. Evangelists among us, sometimes the hardest person to win is someone who's been sitting in the church. And an evangelist, you need that guy or gal to come along and be like, I know just the right button to push to show you that you've been walking in in works and not in grace. Gifts of evangelists—they speak the truth. They they encourage the body. Then you have pastors or teachers. Now, pastors must be able to teach, but not all teachers are pastors. But again, he's given us five functions here in this passage that build up the body so that we all walk in the fullness of Jesus Christ, that we understand the good gifts that he gave, that we understand rightly the word and the revelation he gave to us. So we use these things to encourage one another, and we receive the blessing of Jesus as he works through us, and he unifies us. He keeps us together. Verses 13 through 16 says, we do this to who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. How? In love. He starts this passage in love. He ends this passage in love. We walk in love. We, we grow in love. We, we have to grow and mature. That maturing happens when we one another with gentleness and humility and patience. Working properly. How do we know if we're working properly? Because he gave us people to guide us and to teach us and to help us. He gave us his word, and that word shows us what he wants and how he works among us and how he's moving. And we're all unified in him. We grow up. Joined together, being Jesus to all, rooted in truth, walking in love. John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you. How has he loved us? He's gentle and lowly and patient. Love one another the way I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So when we walk in unity of the gospel together, we go through hard things together, and we determine we're not going to just get fed up and lose our patience and just go somewhere else because, well, it's just easier than actually bearing with one another. No, when we act like Jesus and we come together and we're unified in the gospel We overcome darkness and the enemy and we are built up into the maturity of Christ and he is glorified and our joy is made full and those around us look at a peculiar people and say, they really love each other and they really love that Jesus. There's gotta be something to that. And God opens a door for the gospel to go out and people are saved and his house is full of worship because he's transforming lives. It all works together. There's a synergy there, right? And the enemy will do all that he can to disrupt it, to destroy it, to break it. He doesn't want you walking like Jesus or unified or together. So determine today to love one another and be unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ and be determined to, to hear from his word that in the good gifts he gave you, you will use them properly and bless one another so that Jesus would be glorified in his bride. Stand with me, we'll pray. Father, we thank you for this this word. I thank you for the encouragement we got last week about being in the gospel and being unified there and seeing the main point that Christ has saved us and he's redeeming and he's called a people to himself, and he is glorified in us as he transforms us. And today, we are encouraged by your word, how you keep us together as one. May we determine to do that. May we say, yes, Lord, I want to be in Christ, as Paul talks. May the bridge be a bride who is unified in the gospel. So, God, we ask this in Jesus' name. And we ask that you search our heart, that if there's anything that should not be there, God, shine your marvelous, beautiful light on it and show us where we need to come back to Jesus and be in him so that we can be one together as it should be. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.